Hi everyone and welcome to eTalmud 2.0. Um, we're going to head on over to uh, to Moed Katan 12b, Yod Beis, Amod Beis. We're actually going to start though on the very bottom of 12a, Yod Beis, Amod Aleph. Um, and uh, we're going to, it's really going to be starting, a, um, still talking about the laws of working on Chol HaMoed. Uh, we're going to analyze those a bit more now. Um, so we're going to start from Amar Rav Chama Bar Gurya, Amar Rav. So again, on the bottom of 12a, you just see it's one, two, three, four, five lines down from the bottom of the page. If you are looking at the um, at the original text, um, and we're going to it's at the very beginning of the line. Okay, Amar Rav Chama Bar Gurya, Amar Rav. Rav Chama Bar Gurya said in the name of Rav. The laws of Chol HaMoed are like the laws of the Kuthsim, the Kuthians, when it comes to Halacha. What does that mean? It means as follows. So the Kuthians, or the Kusim were a particular um, group of people that um, lived in Israel during the time of the first temple, and they kept some of the laws. They didn't keep the laws that were um, as enumerated by the oral tradition, but they did keep the laws as enumerated by the written tradition, by the written Torah. And the basic premise of those law of them is that just because they would follow one law, you couldn't infer from there that they would follow a similar law or a related law. That's just not how it worked. And we're saying that the same thing happens when it comes to the Chol HaMoed, that you're not able to infer that just because one thing is permitted that something else will be permitted that's similar and just because one thing's prohibited that something else will be prohibited because it's similar. So that's what we're basically saying. So what's the legal consequence here with this idea? said in the name of Rav, it comes to teach you that the laws of Cholamoid are like an Akura, which is like a barren woman, meaning they are, you know, there, there's no like Children, there's no offspring to to derive from. In other words, it doesn't. There's no transference to offspring. So similarly here, um, it's not like you can learn a law and then say you can learn from there to an offspring of that law. Everything is um, right. We, we can't learn from things that are similar. We can't learn one from the other. said. So this is a good example. You can coat the inside of a jug with some sort of pitch on Chol HaMoed, but you can't coat the inside of a barrel with pitch on Chol HaMoed. And Rav Dimimir Naharda, Amar Dimimarda said exactly the opposite. Zovsin Chavisa, Vin Zovsin Kuzsa, you are allowed to coat a barrel on Chol HaMoed, but you can't coat a jug on Chol HaMoed. And what's the reason for their dispute? So the basic reason why you would coat a, anything with pitch is in order to make sure that nothing leaks. So why is, what's the reason for the dispute? Mar Chayish Lepseida, so Rav Dimi, He's more worried about the about loss, about preventing loss, and therefore he permits the coating of the larger barrel because that's a bigger loss than the smaller barrel. Umar Chayesh and the other one Shmuel, he's more concerned about preventing exertion on Chalamoid, and therefore he allows you to coat a smaller one, the jug, but not the bigger one because that's too much of an exertion on Yamtiv. But basically, the idea is is that you can't learn one from the other, right? You can't learn that just because you can coat a you can coat a jug that you can coat a barrel, or the vice versa. Amar Abayi said, "Nakti non, we hold as a tradition, Hilchos Moed Shabbos, 
the laws of forbidden labor on Cholamoid are like the laws of forbidden labor on Shabbos. And what does this mean? Now returning to 12b, Yod Beis Amad Beis, Yesh Mehen Pater Aval Aser. Some of them, meaning some of the Cholamoid things, the prohibitions are are prohibited. However, you will not, you know, they're they're exempt, right? Exempt from punishment. So meaning, if you do them on purpose, right? So some Shabbos laws are split into three categories. Some of them are prohibited, and if you do transgress, if you transgress on purpose, you will be receive capital punishment, and if you transgress by mistake, you'll have to bring a sacrifice. And then the second category is things that are prohibited, but there is no actual punishment that you have to go through if you do transgress. And the third type is ones that may seem to, you know, initially that they should be prohibited, but are actually permitted. So what we're saying is, is that Cholmoid is like Shabbos as far as the last two categories are concerned. Some of the Cholmoid acts leave you exempt, although they're still prohibited, and some are permissible even in the first place. And now we're going to um, talk about this some more. Um, so now we're going to, um, so that was like kind of the end of that, and now we're going to talk more about the, you know, the things that are related to our Mishnah. So Rav Huna, um, his workers reaped his harvest during Chol HaMoed. So Rabbi Bar Rav Huna challenged his father Rav Huna and said, You are allowed to grind, you know, the Brisa says that you can grind grain into flour on Chol HaMoid if it's for a festival need. But if it's not for a festival need, it's forbidden. And also if something is going to be lost, right, if, if left unattended over the festival, then you could perform its work during Chol HaMoid. But in the case of something that's not going to be lost, if it was lost, you know, if, if you didn't attend to it over the festival, it's forbidden then to perform that work on Chol HaMoed. Now, in what context was this said? This is true of things that are detached from the ground. But if it's still attached to the ground, then even if all of it will be lost, it's forbidden to perform its work on Chol HaMoed. So, um, so we see that even though there may be exemptions um, when it comes to working things that will be lost, that's only true if things are not attached from the ground. But when they're attached to the ground still, um, because it's a very public proceeding, we worry that onlookers um, who don't know of the impending loss of the crop, they will assume that it's permissible to harvest crops on Chol HaMoed. And therefore, we do not allow you to do it. But if you truly have nothing left, to, nothing to eat, then you can reap, gather, thresh, winnow, select, and grind your standing crop, your connected crop on Chol HaMoed. As long as you do not thresh, as long as you do not thresh using oxen. We're going to explain this a little bit um, a little bit later. So what do we see? Though? We see very clearly that if you have nothing to eat, then you can perform work with a standing crop on Chol HaMoyed. Um, but if you don't, if you have what to eat, then you cannot do work on a standing crop on Chol HaMoyed, even if it will prevent a loss. So if that's the case, how could Rav Huna permitted, have permitted his crop to be harvested on Chol HaMoyed? Amarlei, Saravuna responded to his son, Rabba Baravuna, Yechidahi. That brisa that you just quoted to me that seems to say that you cannot do touch, you cannot work 
on connected grain on Yamtiv on Cholamoid, uh, that is a minority opinion. It's an individual opinion. We don't follow his ruling to Tanya because we learned in a Bright said a general rule in the name of Rabbi If you have a case of a crop that's already been detached from the ground, even if only part of it will be lost if you don't attend to it, Mutter, you're allowed to do its work on Cholamoy. But if it's attached, even if all of it will be lost if you don't attend to it, also you're not allowed to do that work. But what do we see? We see that this price that's quoted is saying something in the name of one person, in the name of Rabbi Yossi. So we see that it's only Rabbi Yossi who says that even if you're going to lose it, you're not allowed to do the standing crop or the connected crop, which would then infer that there is a majority opinion that argues with Rabbi Yossi, and that is how Rav Huna decided the halacha, like the majority opinion, unlike Rabbi Yossi. But now we're going to ask, is that can we really say that that b'raisa that Rav Huna's son Rabba brought, that that is accordance with Rabbi Yossi? Don't we see the Rabbi Yossi? But if that tan of that b'raisa is Rabbi Yossi, then we have a different question. Yadosh nami beparos. In this scenario where you need it for food, right? Where you don't have anything to eat, where we did say then, where the Bryce has said that you could go ahead and work the field, just you cannot use oxen. If this is really according to Rabbi Yossi, then you should even be allowed to use oxen. Ha'amar Rav Yitzchak bar Abba, didn't Rav Yitzchak bar Abba say, man tano shini b'moi b'dab ha'avod? Who was the one that taught that you need to do things in an irregular way when you're performing work on Chol HaMoed in an instance that you're going to lose out if you don't do that work, to Lok Rabiosi. That's not like Rabiosi. In other words, Rabiosi holds you don't need to um, imp- do the work with an irregularity, with a Shinoi. And if that's the case, seemingly the reason you weren't allowed to use oxen would have been because you were required to do the work using an irregularity. And oxen are the regular way, so you have to abstain from that. But according to Rabiosi, in a scenario where you actually are allowed to do work, he doesn't require you to use an irregularity. So if the Brysa is really Rabiosi, then you should be allowed to use. Why then do we say that you can't use ox to, oxen to do the work? So Gmar answers, Amr Lacha, Rakuna will say to you, Hachinami. Here too, regarding the threshing with oxen, the reason that you're not allowed to do it has nothing to do with an irregularity or not. In fact, since one does not necessarily thresh using oxen on all other days, threshing without oxen is not considered an irregularity um, at this point in time. So if that's the case, then why can't you use oxen? So the basic idea is, is because when you use them, they create a commotion, and we don't want to publicize the fact that we're permit that we're Pro, we are doing work on Chol HaMoed. <laughs> so what we end up having, what we can end up saying, is that the Brisa can be the view of Rabiosi, which would then be a minority opinion or an individual opinion, and Rav Huna, who cut his, who harvested his crop during Chol HaMoed, would be going like the inferred majority opinion that does not agree with Rabiosi. Okay. Tan Rabbanon. The Rabbis Tan in a Brisa. You can grind grain into flour on Chol for a festival need. 
But if it's not for a festival need, then it is forbidden. But if you ground the grain for the festival, and then some was left, oh, some was left over after the festival, you are allowed to use and eat that grain. Um, you're allowed to use and eat that grain. You're allowed to cut branches from trees on Chol HaMoed for a festival need. But if it's not for a festival need, then it's prohibited. If you cut the branches for the festival and some are left over after the festival, you're still allowed to use those branches. You can brew beer on Chol HaMoed for a festival need. Because you need to have that beer on Chol Hamoid on the festival, I mean. But if it's not for a festival need, it is forbidden. But if you brewed beer for the festival and some was left over, you're allowed to drink it. Provided that one does not do any sort of trickery. Which, what would trickery be in the case of the beer? That would be deliberately preparing more beer than is needed. But making, you know, but but the trickery is is that is that you're gonna say either to yourself or the people watching that you're doing it for the festival use, <laughs> knowing full well that there's just no way you're gonna drink this much beer on the festival. So you're you're not allowed to. According to this opinion, you're not allowed to do that type of trickery. Urim and he, but let's ask on this with from the following brisa. Matilin sheicher b'moed It says you can brew beer on chol hamoid for a festival need. But if it's not for a festival need, it's forbidden. And this is true regarding both date beer and barley beer. And even if you have enough old beer in stock for the festival, you can still brew new beer. And what you can do is then and then employ trickery by drinking from the new stock during the festival, showing that it was needed. Right, so basically, um, the type. So this is a bit of a different type of trickery, which is that you do have enough beer for the festival. So what we say is, is you can still brew new beer, um, and then drink from that new beer on the festival to make it clear that it was needed for the festival, even though it probably wasn't, because you could have drank the old beer. Now, just to make it clear, if the new beer is better, then you'd be allowed to do this anyway. It's considered a, you know, and you wanted it for the festival, then you actually couldn't do that with that, and that wouldn't be considered trickery. But what do we see? We see that this brisa allows trickery, which would contradict the previous brisa that should not allow trickery. So how do we reconcile? So tonight here we say it really is. It's a Tanaic dispute. It's a dispute between sages of that time period, the time period of the Mishnah and the Brisa. The Tanaic, as we learned in a Brisa, one may not employ trickery in this matter. And Rabbi Yosef Yehuda, Omer Marim, and Rabbi Yosef Yehuda says we could employ trickery. So we see very clearly that there's differing opinions as to whether we can employ trickery or not in order to allow you to cook some things um, that otherwise would not be allowed on Chol Hamoid or do certain forbidden labors that would not be allowed otherwise on a Cholamoid. All right. Um, so it happened that they reaped Rav's harvest on Cholamoid. Shama Shmuel Ikbid. Shmuel heard of this and he objected. So So seemingly it would let us say that Shmuel is following the opinion of an individual Tana, right? Because we said like the individual Tana is Rabiosi who said that you're not allowed to work on a still attached crop during Cholamoid unless you need, unless you have no food. And seemingly we would assume that this person had food 
that Rav had food, and the reason Shmuel was arg- is was 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 um, took you know you know wasn't happy about this was because he agreed with Rabbi Yossi. So you say, Lo, no, Shmuel is not actually doesn't agree with Rabbi Yossi. So then why would he have prohibited this? No, this was a wheat harvest, which not would not have been lost if left unattended to until after the festival. Um, so there was no need to harvest on a Cholamoy, and that's why Shmuel was against it. But that wouldn't make sense. For Rab, my time, if that's the case, though, why would Rab have done this? If it wasn't going to be lost, then even then Rab certainly would not have harvested a crop that could have waited to be harvested without any sort of loss until after Yom Tiv. So he answered, This was a scenario where Rab felt that it was a scenario where one did not have anything to eat. So therefore, he was allowed to harvest his wheat on Cholamoid. As for Shmuel, they had not explained Rav's situation to him. He didn't realize that Rav had nothing to eat if not for this wheat field. Inami, or we can say that reason Shmuel objected was because Adam Chashrub Shaini, he felt that a prominent person is different and must hold himself to a stricter standard. So although it probably would have been all right to reap this grain for an ordinary person, for a prominent person like Rav, it, not, it was not appropriate. And we have another similar case to this. Rabbi Huda Nesiyah nafak Rabbi Huda went out into the courtyard on Shabbat wearing a ring with a signet of madosh wood. In other words, it was a signet ring. Now, a signet ring, a signet is something that is you're not allowed to use on the on Shabbos or on the festival because it's it's um you know it's no different than any other writing or making a mark. So what this is then is that seemingly this ring is called muksa. Muksa means that it's something that's set aside not for Shabbat, and therefore you're not even allowed to move it on Shabbat. And um, so let's go a little bit further. And Rabbi Huda Nesiyah also did something else. Also, he drank water that was heated by an Aramean, a non-Jew. And... Um, Shmama Rabbi Ami Ikbin Rabbi Ami heard of both of these things. Number one, that he wore his signet ring on Shabbos, and number two, that he um, drank from the heated water of a non-Jew. Rabbi Ami heard this and he objected. So now the question is: Is what was the reason for this objection? Amr of Yosef Yosef says, "My time Ikbid, Why did Rabbi Ami object to this? If it was because of the signet ring, um, which was muksa, but that doesn't make sense, therefore you shouldn't be allowed to move it. But hatanya, but didn't we learn in a brisa? Hashirin hanizamim v'hatabos. If you have brooches, nose rings, and rings, they're like all other utensils that may be moved in a courtyard for the sake of their use or their place. In other words. If you have things that you're not allowed to use on Shabbos, so for instance, your signet ring, the point here is is that there are different types of muksa. One of those types of muksa is called something is a, is is muksa because this main use of this thing is for something that's prohibited on Shabbos. In such a scenario, you're actually allowed to move that that thing for two reasons. You can move it if you need the space that it is currently occupying, and you can move it if you need to transport the thing itself, right? You need to use that thing. That, that thing itself is necessary to be used. Then you can move it as well. So what we're saying here um, is that seemingly this ring 
we would, uh, you know, we should say that Rabbi Huda Nesia, he was moving it, but he'd be permitted to use it because we would have to assume that he was used, moving it in order to take advantage of the place that it was occupying or because he needed to use the ring itself. Um, so the, obviously then it's not the ring that was the, that Rabbi Ami had the problem with. And imishum ishti maya da'achim kapela arma. And if it was because Rabbi Huda drank water that was heated by a non-Jewish cook, which would then be forbidden because of the issue of a non-Jew cooking, you're not allowed to eat from that food. Hamar Rav Shmuel Bar Yitzchak Rav, but didn't Rav Shmuel Bar Yitzchak say in the name of Rav, Kol Shenechal that whatever is normally eaten in its raw state, it does not fall under the prohibition against a non-Jew's cooking, even if it was cooked by a non-Jew. So this water, usually drunk without being heated, is not included in the prohibition. So that cannot be why Rabbi Ami would have objected. So why then did Rabbi Ami object? And we respond, Adam Chashuv Shani. Because a prominent person is different, has to follow a stricter standard. So though in general, someone could move a signet ring on Shabbos and in general, one could drink from the heated water of an Aramean, um, because Rabbi Huda Nesia was so prominent, they did not allow him to. Can I watch and... Amar Amar Rav. Rav Hananel said in the name of Rav, Kotzeitz Adam Dekel Bamoed. One is allowed to cut a um, a palm tree on Cholamoed. Afal Pishen Otsarach Elon Even if he needs it only for its sawdust. Layata Lahabaye, Abaye learned of this, and he cursed anyone that followed this ruling of cutting down a palm tree on Cholamoed, even if you just need it for its sawdust. Um, Okay, so let's go on on this. Ravashi Havale Abba Bishalanya. Ravashi owned a forest in Shalanya. He went to cut down some of its trees on Chalmoid to obtain their sawdust. What's your reasoning? The Kamar of Hanan Rav. Seemingly, it's because of what Rachanan said in the name of Rav. That you can cut down a palm tree in Chalmoid, even if you only need it for its sawdust. But don't we don't you know that Abaye cursed anyone that would follow this? Um Lay sort of Ashi said back, Lo Shamili, I did not hear Abaye's ruling. In other words, Kilomar as if to say Lo Sfirli, I don't agree with it. At that point, Ishtamit Narga, at that point, the axe slipped and almost severed his thigh, and he understood that this was his punishment for transgressing Abaye's ruling. Asa, so he immediately left the forest and we turned and he came home. Um, now we're going to just list some things of labor that are forbidden, uh, that are um, could be performed on Cholmoid. Rabbi Yehuda Sharl and Mikar Kitana. Rabbi Yehuda permitted one to uproot flax, and cut hops, and uproot shumshim plants during Um So these are all different types of things. We're going to talk about them right now. It's understandable that you allow the uprooting of flax because it's fit for covering food and needed for the festival itself. It's unnecessary for the festival. So two cutting hops. You should be allowed to do that because you they'd be fit for brewing beer that is necessary for the festival. Um, but cutting shumshim plants, these type of sesame plants, for what immediate use are they fit, right? Their seeds can't be eaten until they've dried. So they, and they won't dry throughout the, you know, in time for the festival itself. So if they have no festival use, you should not be allowed to uproot them on Cholamoid. So we answer, 
they're fit for immediate use because of the already withered seeds they contain. When you cut down or uproot seed, this, this uh, sesame type of seed, some of the, the seeds will already be withered and therefore already be able to be used. Rabbi Yanai owned a certain orchard, whose time for picking came on knowing that they would otherwise be lost, he picked the fruits of the orchard. And people saw it and they thought that you would be allowed to harvest fruits And what ended up happening was after seeing Rabbi Yanai do this, next year everyone deliberately postponed harvesting their orchards until Cholamoi, which of course is forbidden. Surbianai, who felt terrible about this, Afkari Rebianai Lafardese Hahushata, Surbianai abandoned his abandoned his orchard to the poor for that year. He took no benefit from it. Um, let's just quickly read the Mishnah. Um, let's go to the Mishnah. Yeah, you can bring in your fruits into your house because of the danger of thieves taking it. Even though it's excessive exertion. You can lift your flax up from the redding so that it will not be lost. If it's in the pool, if it's in this water, this, this liquid for too long will get lost. It will be lost. Provided that you do not schedule this work for In all these cases, if you do deliberately scheduled their work for Ochalmoid, then the fruits of their labor shall be lost. Um, we'll talk more about what that means, that they'll be lost, but basically is the owner is for sure forbidden to benefit from this illicit work. Um, let's just do this, the first part of the Braise. When we talk about bringing your fruits in because of the, 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 the thieves that may take it, that's only if you bring the fruits into his house in private so that no one will see it and assume that it is permissible to perform work on Cholamoid. Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef had some large heavy beans that cannot be left outdoors. Ailin Hubi Mama, he brought them into the house on Cholmoy during the daytime. Amr Le'abaya, Abaya said to him, Vatanya, but didn't we learn in a Braisa? As long as you bring them in private, then it would be allowed when they're necessary to be brought in. But you did it in the middle of the day. Amr Le'a, Yosef said to him, Sina Dahani Yamamahu. The privacy of, ta- of these, of big, heavy beams, you can do during the day as well. Kivan de Belilia, Bogavri, Yaseri, because at night you still need additional men. Uva, and torches of fire are going to be needed. so the thing creates a commotion. Um, so really, it's no more private one during the day or during the night, and therefore you could do it even during the day, trying to be as private as possible. Okay, we'll stop here. Have a wonderful day.